Take your Bible with me this morning. We're going to look at several passages of Scripture, but I want to look at really two, two Scriptures that will be our main text this morning. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6. The first time I had the opportunity to preach out of this passage of Scripture, I was still in, uh, in school, in training, and this passage has become such a dear passage of Scripture to my heart. Verse 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, Rejoice. It says, Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. And then verse 6 says, Be careful for nothing. I look around the room this morning, and there's a room full of people here, and I'll just say it this way, there's a preacher here that tends to worry. We all struggle with worry. In one way or another, we struggle with worry. And yet the scripture says, be careful for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, don't forget that part, let your requests be made known unto God. And then the next verse, and we'll look at this at the end of the message, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds by Christ Jesus. That's the reference that's over here. Where am I at? Oh, over here, Philippians 4, 6 on the wall. But I want you to look at one other passage of Scripture because I... If we're going to look at prayer just in a one-sermon one message on prayer, I think we would be remiss to neglect the Lord's teaching on prayer in the Gospels. That's recorded for us in a couple different books. But look with me at Matthew chapter 6. Turn over there, Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 13. We went through this passage not long ago in our Wednesday evening series on the, on the Sermon on the Mount, but... Here in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is teaching about prayer, and He says in verse 5, And when thou prayest, not if, but when, when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily, truly. I say to you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. When thou shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions, as the heathen do. For they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them. For your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask Him. That's an amazing God, isn't it? You're speaking to your Father and He knows what you need even before you ask Him. After this manner, therefore, pray ye our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, 
but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. There's two viewpoints when it comes to prayer. Some would say that prayer is either lining yourself up with God's will and what He has already intended to do, or others would say that prayer is asking God to do what He otherwise would not do. These two viewpoints seem to give only one option or the other. So which is it? Well, the Bible teaches and supports both. The Bible supports both of these ideas that in prayer we are lining ourselves up with God's will for our lives, but in prayer we are also asking God to do things that He otherwise might not do. Let me read you some scripture. 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 and 15 says, And this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. And if we know that He hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of Him. John 15, 7 says, If ye abide in Me, and My words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Look at Psalm 115 and verse 3. This seems to take the other direction. It says, But our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever He hath pleased. 1 Samuel 2, verse 6 and 7 says, The Lord killeth and maketh alive. He bringeth down to the grave and bringeth up. The Lord maketh poor and maketh rich. He bringeth low and lifteth up. But then as we already looked at in Philippians 4, 6, He says, Be careful for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Because of this tension, there are some who would say that prayer has no value. God's going to do whatever He wants to do anyway. So why pray? The Bible is clear that God is the sovereign of the universe. The Bible is also equally clear that God calls on His people to beseech Him in prayer, to implore His help in guidance, provision, protection, mercy, forgiveness, and countless other needs. God wants us to pray. He commands us to pray. Prayer is the appointed way for God's children to get things from their Heavenly Father. Prayer is the only way out of all trouble, and it's the cure for all worry. Prayer is the only way to have the power of the Holy Spirit for God's work. Pray because the Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He expects His children to communicate with Him through prayer. True believers throughout all ages have found that they would have a personal, close walk with God through prayer. There was an old preacher of the last century named John R. Rice. He said this, prayer is asking. Prayer is asking. But when we ask, we ought to ask, yes, according to His will. But when we ask, we don't know what He's going to do. But then he said on the other side, answering is receiving. 
Praying is asking, answering is receiving. I thought about how many times we pray for things and then they actually come to pass and then we don't receive it as a gift from God. I was praising the Lord this morning. I got notes from Jennifer Palacios, from Sylvia Palacios, from Joe Palacios asking prayer for Sylvia's dad. He's in the hospital right now as we speak. When he got there this morning, he was having trouble breathing and, and very concerned, and they weren't getting to him very quickly, just sitting there waiting in the emergency room. And so I got texts from several of them saying, please pray. If they don't do something, he, it, it, it might be too late. We don't know what's going to happen. And so we were gathered with the men up in the front of the church, as we do every Sunday morning at, at 930, and we prayed, and we prayed about this specific situation. I just got a text from Sylvia a couple minutes ago, even as we were beginning the services, and she said, thank you for praying. The doctors were able to see my dad and get him onto the machine to take care of him. God answers prayer. Amen. Praying is asking. Receiving is answering. When God answers, we ought to receive and receive it as from God. We've prayed for God to do what He did in our country this week. Do we, do we receive it then as a gift from God? Do we step out in faith because of what God has done and look to what God will do? We've looked a number of times at our church, in our church at that passage there in 1 Samuel 14 where Jonathan and his armor bearer went up against the Philistine garrison. And he makes that statement. Jonathan says... The Lord is not restrained to save by many or by few. It may be the Lord will work for us. As we look at prayer this morning, I think you'll find both in the Lord's Prayer or in this model prayer in Matthew 6, as well as in our text for this, Philippians 4, 6, the same ideas being taught. It is the same Word of God, so it should not surprise us that it agrees with itself. But the Bible tells us and teaches us when it comes to sincere prayer, we must focus on the right audience. I've heard a lot of people pray to themselves. I've heard a lot of people pray, as Jesus points out here in Matthew chapter 6, pray just to be heard of the other people around them. My friends, if your prayers become much more ornate and exciting, the more people that are in the room, perhaps you're not praying to God. You're just praying to be heard of men. Prayer is asking. It's communicating directly with God. That's why Jesus pointed out in Matthew chapter 6, when you pray, don't pray as the hypocrites. Don't just pray to be seen of men. He says, no, but when thou prayest, enter into thy closet when thou shut thy door. Pray to thy Father, which is in secret. Now, I want to make a real point here because this has been brought up a lot, especially in the last few months. When something tragic takes place, people quickly jump on and say, Our thoughts and prayers are with you. But my friend, this morning, if you don't know God as your Heavenly Father, your prayers don't go anywhere outside of this room. They're not prayers. They're just words. Pray to your Father. 
Otherwise, they're just empty words. Prayer must focus on the right audience. When you pray just to be seen of men, just to put it on social media, you have your reward. He says, And thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. As we think about focusing on the right audience in prayer, we see clearly that there is the false audience of men. It is a great thing that feeds our egos and our pride for people to look at us and say, wow, he's a prayer warrior. Whoa, listen to him pray. Pray. Wow, he is so eloquent. I wish I could pray like that. If prayer is asking, if prayer is communicating with God, then you can speak directly to God. No matter who you are, if you know Him as your Heavenly Father today, have the right audience. Don't pray to be heard of men. No, have the true audience that is God. The only person that needs to hear your prayer is God because He's the only one that can do something about or with your prayer. Philippians 4, 6 also gives us the same truth when it says be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your request be made known unto God there it is again the audience of our prayer must be God I'm so thankful for the scripture that teaches us in Hebrews chapter 4 verses 15 and 16 for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He knows what we feel. He knows our struggle. He says, but he was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. When you got up this morning, did you spend time talking to your heavenly Father? It was a sweet time this morning to just be able to get up and talk to my dad, my heavenly Father. And he heard me. And he encouraged me. You know, just being able to take the burdens of your life and your day and be able to share them with somebody that can actually do something about it, not just something, he can do everything and anything that's needed to be accomplished in that situation. Being able to take your struggles, your needs, everything that you're facing and say, Lord, I'm giving them to you. Lord, I need your help in this. God, give me wisdom for this. Guide my steps. Show me what to do. Why is it, do you think, that many Christians or so-called Christians struggle to pray? I often think that prayer is such a struggle because the evil one knows the power of prayer. He knows the power of prayer and he wants to keep you from accessing that power. Because when you get right with God, when you walk with Him, when you take those burdens and share them with your Heavenly Father, when you ask Him to intervene in your situation, when you ask Him to guide your steps and to lead your path, when you ask Him for whatever you need and you praise Him for who He is, all of a sudden you get in the right place with God and God begins to use you in ways 
that the devil doesn't want to see you used. Prayer is having the right audience. And we see that clearly at the beginning of the Lord's Prayer when he starts out by saying, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Yes, prayer is asking. But to be able to ask, we have to be in the right position to even ask the question. Prayer begins by praising our Heavenly Father for who He is. By lifting up His name and reminding ourselves of His holiness and His faithfulness and His power and His goodness and His mercy and His patience and His kindness toward us. Hallowed be Thy name, Your name, Your name is worthy to be praised, not my name. Isn't it wonderful to be able to come into His presence and just praise Him for who He is? But I've thought about this too. To be able to praise God for who He is, you have to know who He is. So not only is prayer a, a giant struggle for most believers, spending time in God's Word. Because prayer is you communicating with God, spending time in His Word. Is God communicating with you? And He'll do anything. The devil will do anything he can to keep you from being in communication with your heavenly Father. You and I know this to be true in our physical life. Relationships require communication. You cannot have a close relationship without close communication. Now, here's the other struggle that we all know is true. Close communication also brings conflict, too. Sometimes it's easier to ignore a problem than to deal with the problem. If I ignore it, then we won't fight. If we don't fight, then everything will be okay. But it's really not okay because there's space, there's distance in that relationship. When we have the right audience in prayer, when we're focusing on God, it brings us closer to Him as we remind ourselves of who He is. But here's the truth that I want you to take home with you today. If you forget everything else, don't forget this. If you get close to God, He will change you. You can't be close to God and not be changed by Him. Everybody that gets to know God is changed by God. And it's no wonder that we live in a world today that wants to ignore God. I, I saw somebody this week as lots of debates and conversations and articles have been written already. There's been more ink spilled over this issue this week than anything in a long time. Somebody began to argue, I don't like your position. I don't like what you're saying. And the other, and both people claiming to be believers. And the person said, well, I, 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 I just believe that what you're saying is wrong. And they said, well, can you just show me from the Word of God? I don't want to argue with you. Just help me see and understand. Well, I can't look up Bible verses like that. But, but here's a website I saw, and they reference a couple of Bible verses. So just read this article that I found on this website. My friend, listen, don't trust the Internet for your relationship with God. What is stopping you from just opening this book and reading it? I'll tell you what's stopping you. Well, I have too many things to do. I'm too tired. I got other things that are more important. Well, it's hard for me to understand. I told Brother Larry this morning, I said, us trying to correct other people without the Word of God, without knowing God and correct their relationship with God would be like me 
coming up to Mr. Larry and say, Brother Larry, I, I know what your wife likes to eat. He'd say, what are you talking about? You don't know my wife. I said, oh, Brother Larry, I know, I know. How do you know? Brother Larry says, I've known her for over 40 years. And you've known her what? A year and a half? You don't know my wife. And that would be true. I could never know Brother Larry's wife like Brother Larry knows his wife. Why? Because of the time and communication that they've had. So how is it that people want to walk in and say that they know God or know, well, this is what I think God would do, but they can't even open God's Word. They don't even spend any time with the Lord. My friends, this ought not to be. And I can't tell you, though, how many Christians though, all the time, well, I just, I don't know. I, I don't know what the verse is. Don't hide behind your ignorance. Because the only person you have to blame for your ignorance when it comes to spiritual things is yourself. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. God's given us His Word. He's even commanded us. He says, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That'd be like me walking around and complaining, well, I just don't understand my wife. I just don't know what she's doing, what she's thinking. You know whose fault that is? That's my fault. I live with her. If I don't know her, that's not her fault. Say, so, well, it's complicated. I just don't understand. It's so difficult. It's hard. But I love her, and I know her. She's mine. Well, you know what? She's not all that complicated. She's not that hard to know. But she just wants communication. She wants me to talk to her, and she wants me to listen to her. And you know what? I'll get to know her pretty well. And you know what? God's not that complicated either. His Word isn't that complicated either. Because we get to know God through His Word. We talk to Him, and He talks to us. I was singing the song this morning. It's an old song. I know it doesn't. it's not as full of all kinds of Bible verses as some songs that we like to sing, but it's an old song. And when I used to be in college and go and sing with a group, we would often get requested to sing this song, especially when we were in a nursing home. The song is called, In the Garden. And if you don't know the truth behind the song, the song doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. But when you understand what the song is talking about, it's talking about spending time with your Heavenly Father, it's a wonderful and a sweet song. So think about the song in the context of prayer and in your relationship with God, the right audience of prayer. The first verse says, I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses. And the voice I hear falling on my ear, the Son of God discloses. And He walks with me and He talks with me and He tells me I am His own. And the joy we share as we tarry there none other. 
has ever known. Sincere prayer has the right audience. Sincere prayer also must have the right purpose. The right purpose. I'm not used to preaching out of two different texts, so bear with me and flip back and forth. It's okay. We'll survive today. Philippians 4, verse 6 says, Be careful for nothing but in... What are the next two words? Everything. The right purpose. So I ought to be praying about everything. Notice back in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. He gives us some of these every things that we ought to be praying about. Look at verse number 9. After this manner, therefore pray ye, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I think in prayer we see the purpose of God's priority. God's priority that He is worthy and He is Lord of all. But notice the next phrase. In verse 10, he says, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. For prayer to have the right purpose, we must understand that the purpose of your life and my life, the purpose of everything that has ever been created or will ever exist on this earth is to bring glory to God. And that's why he says, Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. He says, Thy kingdom come. Too often we live our lives focused on building our own castles. Boy, look at what I did. Look at what I made. Look at all the things that I've collected. Look at all the people that like me and follow me. We're building our own castles. But God didn't put you here to build your castle. He put you here as part of His kingdom. Thy kingdom come. we got to pray according to God's program. Not according to ours. But I think in everything, another thing we ought to pray about is found in verse 11 of Matthew chapter 6. Give us this day our daily bread. You see the purpose of God's provision. Isn't it amazing that you can go and talk to God about what you need for this day? That phrase, our daily bread, I think harkens back into the Old Testament where the children of Israel each day as they were out in the wilderness had to go out and gather the manna, the bread that God had miraculously made appear every morning. And they would have to go out and they would have to gather enough for that day. And the Bible says if they gathered too much, then what was left over would rot. But... On Friday, they had to gather a double portion because there would be no manna put out on the Sabbath day because they weren't supposed to work on the Sabbath day. And if you didn't gather enough on Friday, then you would go hungry on Saturday. But God provided exactly what they needed for every day. So why are you worried about tomorrow if God has already given you enough for today? Give us this day our daily bread. Often the things I find that worry me when it comes to life and situations are often tomorrow things. 
because in the moment, we experience God's provision moment by moment and day by day. You're all here this morning. God provided for you to get out of bed. He provided for you to get in the car and bring you, bring you here today. He got you a ride somehow or another. Somehow you're here. You say, but I don't know if I'll be able to do it next week. Boy, the gas prices are so high. I don't know if my car's going to be running. I don't know what's going to take place. No, you don't. The whole country's falling apart. What are we going to do? Give us this day our daily bread. Be careful for nothing, but in everything. Prayer has to have the right purpose, the purpose of God's priority, His, His program, His provision. But I think we also see here the purpose of God's pardon. He says, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. I'm so thankful we can pray to God for forgiveness. I mean, think about it. Nobody wants to go in to their boss... Nobody wants to walk in and stand before a judge and say, I've messed up. No, what happens? When, when people get in front of their boss, they try to come up with all these reasons why it really wasn't their fault. It was somebody else's fault. Or, I really didn't mess up. Or I was going to get to it later. I just didn't get it done. Or, or something outside of my control took place and I wasn't able to accomplish it. This Friday, I had the joy of going down for jury duty. I'm thankful I didn't get selected because that way I get to go to camp this next week with the teens. But uh, it was exciting to sit there. And, you know, they have you stand and you swear that you will perform the duties as a juror and all of those things. You know, I've been on a jury before, on a panel, and sat in a, in a courtroom as a trial was taking place. And you've probably seen these things as well. People standing before judges don't like to get up and say, well, I really messed up and did wrong. Even when they plead guilty, they're often using it as a way to try to get out of something else. That's, I think, a natural fleshly response. But the Bible says that as believers, as children of a heavenly Father, our prayer ought to include confession of sin. And that's why he says the purpose of God's pardon. God, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. But do you see how the Lord did that? There's almost two sides to it there. He says, forgive us as we're forgiving others. Why should God forgive you if you won't forgive others? Remember, the story is told here by Jesus where this man owed his king a great debt that he could not repay, and the king forgave him the debt. And then the man went and he found his friend who owed just a little bit of money to him, but he wouldn't forgive the friend his money and he threw him in debtor's prison instead. And the family of that man who was thrown in prison came to the king and they said, that man that you forgave all of that money, he refused to forgive our father, our friend, our family member, just a little bit about amount of money and he threw him in jail. Was the king happy and pleased with his servant or upset? He was angry. He says, I'm, you're going to have to pay all that you owe. We ought to be forgiving because we want God's forgiveness, God's pardon. I think we also see in everything that we ought to be praying about. He says, and lead us, verse 13, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We see the purpose of God's protection. God's protection. 
I think about that all the time. You know, God's protecting you from things you don't even know he protected you from. And it might scare somebody. I don't mean to scare anybody, but, you know, when I, I walked out in the parking lot the other day and found a bullet, a slug, I thought, you know, that thing could have fallen anywhere. Thankful came down in an empty parking lot. It was all scraped on the bottom, so somebody just shot it and it skidded down the road or across the parking lot or something. People are stupid and they do dumb things all the time. And God protects us. Aren't you thankful God protects you from other people's stupidity? Aren't you thankful He protects you from your own stupidity? You ever done something later? Thought, Man, I don't know. What, what was I thinking? That was not wise. God protects us. You've all seen those videos of, of the dad sitting on the couch with his kid and his, his little toddler, and all of a sudden the baby pitches over the side of the couch, and the dad goes diving off and makes an amazing grab, catches him by one foot or one ankle, and rescues that child. I wonder how often that's how we look like in God's hands. We're out there dangling, you know, by a toenail because God is protecting us. But, you know, God isn't somebody who, when he protects, like, wow, I didn't think he was going to make that catch. No, God's catches are always good. And they're always right on time. The purpose of God's protection. I think we also see the purpose of God's preeminence. But deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. The point is this. It's all about God. So in your prayer for God to work in your life, understand that your life is all about Him. So that ought to direct our prayer requests a little bit, right? I think when we pray for the salvation of the lost, we're praying things that are all about God. Because God desires to see the salvation of the lost. I think when we pray for righteousness in the nation, we're praying things that honor God because that's what God says honors Him, righteousness in the nation. I think when we pray for God's protection or God's healing in a situation, we're praying things that are about God because God is the great physician and He loves to heal the sick. I think when we pray about those kinds of things, we're praying in line with God's program. But praying in, God, in line with God's program means we ought not be caught up in then twisting things around and just trying to get stuff for ourselves just to consume it upon ourselves. Prayer, sincere prayer, has the right purpose. Sincere prayer also will have the right outcome. Isn't that a blessing? He promises to hear and to answer our prayer and have the right outcome. In, back in our text in Matthew 6, he says, Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. God's will will be accomplished. And we praise Him for that. You've been looking at Philippians 4, 6. Look at verse 7. He says we are to take our request before Him in prayer. And He says in verse 7, And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds by Christ Jesus. This is the right outcome. Well, what's the right outcome? Well, God's will is accomplished. Your faith is strengthened. I'm just always encouraged when God answers prayer. And I'm encouraged to pray more. And I think also God's peace will rule 
in your heart. As I was praying about this message and studying, of course, prayer is all throughout Scripture. But I think it's important for us, if we're going to be a church that focuses on prayer and that says prayer is one of our foundational things that we follow as a church, that we value, that we spend time doing, then this last point is really important. And it is this, that sincere prayer is unhindered access to God. And I want us to focus on that word unhindered because the reality is so many people live their life with their prayers being hindered. God's not hearing them. They're not getting through. Anybody ever felt like your prayers weren't getting through? I think it's a pretty common experience. And the Bible has a lot to say about it. So I'm going to give you a few points. This might be something more for your reflection later today or this week. The Bible teaches us that unresolved problems at home will result in hindered prayer. Can I take you over to 1 Peter 3? 1 Peter 3. Look at verse 7. The passage here speaking to husbands and wives about different areas in their relationship with one another and with the Lord. But it tells the husbands, it says, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them, that's the wife, according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life. You're not more important than your wife. You don't get to push her around. No, you are to honor her because you are heirs together of the grace of life. You both are valuable to God, created by Him. And he says we are to do these things. Why? The end of verse 7, that your prayers be not hindered. Unresolved problems at home will result in hindered prayers. One of these is extremely practical, one of the reasons that happens. Because when you're having problems with your spouse, you don't feel like praying. You say, you sound like you've, you're speaking from experience. I've been there. And you're just worked up inside. And you don't feel like praying. It's very, just practically, your prayers are hindered, hindered because you won't pray them. But even if you do, that sin in your life will hinder that prayer with God. That leads us right to the next point. Unconfessed sin will result in hindered prayers. Isaiah 59 verses 1 and 2 say this, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. Neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear. Some people say, well, well, God, maybe he just couldn't reach out and do anything about this situation. Maybe God couldn't hear this prayer that was prayed. No, he says, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Not that he cannot hear, but that he will not hear. What's your relationship with God like? Sin comes between you and God. Jesus Christ, through His work on the cross, has, has 
abolish that work of sin in your life. He's, he's put it as far as the east is from the west. But when you allow that sin back into your life, instead of coming before God in His grace and mercy, pleading the blood of Jesus Christ, your sins keep you from prayer. And same thing as with the family situation. When you're living in sin, you don't feel like praying. So practically, you won't pray like you should. But even if you should pray, your sin is keeping you from the right relationship with God. The Bible says in 1 Peter 3.12, For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and His ears are open unto their prayers. It's right there, as plain as day. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. You know, when you begin to study something like prayer and the Word of God, it's amazing all the Scripture that speaks to that truth. And so many, oh, yeah, that kind of makes sense. Well, because it's truth. And it's truth because God said it, not because you dreamed it up. Isn't it amazing? God hears the prayers of the righteous, but He turns His face against those that are evil. And Psalm 66, 18 says it about as simply as can be. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not. Unconfessed sin will result in unhindered prayers. Unforgiveness. We've already looked at that in Matthew 6. Unforgiveness will result in hindered prayers. Jesus said in Matthew 6, For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father also will forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7 and 8 says, But if we walk in the light as... He is in the light. We have fellowship one with another in the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Unforgiveness will result in hindered prayers, but also an unwillingness to hear God's word will result in hindered prayers. What should we do when we hear the Word of God? We ought to hear it. We heard this Wednesday night. Hear it, receive it, and be changed by it. Allow God to change our lives through the truth of His Word. Psalm 28 verse 9 says, He that turneth away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer shall be abomination. Strong words. So what are you doing with the Word of God? Are you hearing it? Are you spending time receiving it from God's Word? Nah, I was too busy for that. You see why your Bible reading and prayer go so much together? We need more Bible readers, don't we? We need more Bible studiers, more people that will spend time in the Word of God. Because your response to God's Word will determine the result of your prayers. Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3 says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law does he meditate day and night and he should be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season his leaf also shall not wither and whatsoever he doeth you think that includes prayer 
shall prosper. Shall prosper. The rest of the psalm says it this way, the ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Unwillingness to hear God's word will result in hindered prayers. So what do we do about it? Well, the Bible tells us. Because we must remove the hindrances by confessing our sin. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, He, He, God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God is faithful. He's faithful when we are not because our sin is unfaithfulness before a holy God. And so instead of walking around and trying to hide it like Adam and Eve tried to hide their sin in the Garden of Eden, instead of trying to ignore it and expecting it to go away like you do with that check engine light on your dashboard, no, confess your sin to God and He'll forgive you. Amen. Now some people take that and twist it. People like to take the truth and twist it. So, well, this, what are you teaching? This sounds like just sort of blank check Christianity. You just do whatever you want. And as long as you say the right words, God just, you can write the check and it's just gone. It's just gone. It's just gone. No, see, see confession is saying the same thing about your sin that God says about your sin. It's agreeing with God about your sin. It's not saying, well, Lord, if I sinned it all today, forgive me. Okay, now I'll go back and do whatever I want to do. No, confession is agreeing with God about your sin. It's saying, yes, God, I'm a sinner, and I realize that my sin, I realize what it does in our relationship. I mean, think about this with your wife. Come home, hey, honey, I, I did some things wrong towards you today. I, I, I misbehaved. I ran around, did other things. I, I wasn't faithful to you. Hope you'll forgive me. Yeah, I forgive you. Okay, let me go back and do it again. That's not confessing your sin. That's not what God's talking about. I think a lot of Christians have tried to excuse their sin by pretending that as long as they just, well, I kind of mentioned it to God, I came and prayed it out on Sunday, I went to confession and made it all right, so now I'm good to go again. No. No. We've got to walk in the light as He is in the light. And if we'll do that, we'll have fellowship with our God and Father, Jesus Christ. See, when we confess our sin, it's agreeing with God about our sin, and then it's choosing to walk in righteousness with Him. It doesn't mean you'll never mess up again. That's not what He's saying. But when you do come back to Him, the Bible says the just man falleth seven times, but he rises up again. When you mess up, confess it and get it right and start walking in the light, walking in truth and in righteousness and following Him. Don't continue on in your sin. Don't be like that dog that just goes right back to his vomit like, like the Proverbs talks about. No, say, I'm going to forsake that sin. The Bible says if you'll confess and forsake your sin, you'll find mercy. But I think it's so encouraging to know that God does forgive sin. There are some that feel, and you may be one of those this morning, that feels like some of the things you've done, some of the things in your past, have put you so far 
from God and His presence in your life that there's no words that could suffice. There's no confession that could be made. There's no penance that could be done to atone for what you have done, what you have committed. My friend, uh, when you think about that from a human perspective, you're absolutely right. There's nothing that you can do to atone for your sin. You can't make it right. You can't try hard enough. You can't fix all the things that have been broken. You cannot do that. But God can. I want you to look at one passage of Scripture with me and then we'll be done. Ephesians chapter 2. It's not in the notes. It's not on the slides. But I believe the Lord would have me to share this passage of Scripture with you as we finish. Because prayer is communicating with God. It's asking. When God answers, we receive it. We live in a world today that's so mixed up on what prayer even is. And then those who think they know what it is don't really do it like they should. I confess their time. I'm not praying like I should all the time. I need to grow in this area. But I want you to be reminded why you can pray and why you should pray. And it goes back to your relationship with God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And you hath he quickened. That means to be made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Remember where God found you. He didn't find you a super Christian accomplishing great things for His kingdom. No, He found you when you were lost and dead and broken, scarred by sin. He reminds us, verse 2, He says, Wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, according to to the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh. I like how Paul does that there. It wasn't just you. It's all of us. From the preacher to the person in the pew, to the person in the jail cell, to the person under the bridge, we've all, and we're all in the same boat And then he says, we all had our conversation time past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature, here's your identity, by nature the children of wrath, even as others. And the best words are in the next, the first two words of the next verse, but God. That's where we were. And that may be where you are this morning. But God. But God who is rich in mercy. Some may say, well, the things I've done are too much. Not too much for His riches. I could never afford to pay. You're right, but He can. He's rich 
in mercy for His great love wherewith He loved us. Even when we were dead in sin, hath quickened us together with Christ. Would you read the rest of that verse with me? By grace ye are saved. You say, I don't deserve it. You're right. It's grace. I could never pay for it. You're right. It's His mercy. And He says in verse 6, And He's raised us up together and made us sit together. There it is, together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You say, I'm so far away. I'm not a church person. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I could never do these things. No, He's going to bring us together. Not because you showed up at the same church building. No but because of the work of Jesus Christ. Through the work of the Heavenly Father, through His Son, He's raised us up together to sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You know, when we get to heaven someday, as we heard the little boys sing and the girls sing on the video this morning, what a day that will be. We're going to look around and we're going to see those children from India. And you might get to meet Billy's mom and dad for the first time. And we're going to meet Ruth. Started out as a Moabite, worshiping false gods, married a disobedient Jew, was a widow as a young woman, followed her bitter mother-in-law back to Bethlehem, back to Israel. God allows her to meet Boaz, He steps in as her kinsman, redeemer, a beautiful picture of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And he redeems her. He he marries her. And he takes over all the debt on the property that her family owed and pays it all off. And then he has a child with her, this child Obed, who then was the father of Jesse, who was the father of David, who was in the lineage of Jesus Christ. He's raised us up together to sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And he tells us why he did this in verse 7, that in the ages to come, so this is for eternity, in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding, here's the word again, riches of his grace. So I can't talk to God. I'm too messed up. I have too many struggles. He won't hear me. I don't know how to pray. I don't know if He'll hear me. I can't do it. You're right. In your own strength, you cannot. But in His, you can because for the ages to come, He wants to show His exceeding riches of His grace. You don't deserve this, but He gives it to you anyway. Of His grace, in His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. And here's the verse that's often quoted, for by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. We know that because we know where we came from. Not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Not of works. Lest any man should boast. See, you may be struggling to pray sincerely. Maybe it's because you've been coming on your own merits and your own strength, trying to somehow figure out how to talk to God in a way that He will hear you. 
But you can come to God directly to Him this morning by faith, not based on your work, but based on His work for you. Think about this. If you had been arrested and you had a court date coming up and you had to go before the judge and you were so nervous, you were very worried about it because you knew that you had committed the crime and that you were due to go to prison. What should you do? Well, the same thing the scripture instructs all of us to do. Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer. But you say, I can't pray because I've done what they've said. I've committed the crime. I deserve to do it then come to God and say, Lord, forgive me. You know, you may still stand before that judge and the judge says, sorry, I don't forgive you. The law does not forgive you. You have to go to prison. But what God did for you is when He forgives you, He puts your sin as far as the east is from the west. Jesus Christ takes your penalty and pays it for you in full so that you can be forgiven. And that, based on that fact of what He's done for you, not because of what you've done for Him, you can now come before Him with all of your requests and needs in prayer. And He tells us in verse 10, I'll read this and I'm done. For we are His workmanship. He made us. You have a new identity now. Remember your old identity? You were by nature the children of wrath, but now you get to verse 10, you're now His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. You're a new creature, a new creation. Remember old Nicodemus, he was confused. He said, how can I be born again? Can I go back into my mother's womb and come out a second time? And Jesus said, no, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto you, ye must be born again. You're His workmanship now. If you've trusted in Jesus Christ, you've been born again. You've been created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. So, based on the work of Christ, come boldly before the throne this morning. If you've not trusted Christ as your Savior, confess your sin to Him and He'll forgive you. If you come to Him, He won't cast you out. Call upon the name of the Lord and you'll be saved. But those who have called upon Him, then don't stop calling. Don't stop asking. Don't stop praying sincerely because prayer is asking and answering is receiving. Let's pray and ask God for His help. Lord, we need You. We need You today. We thank you for your word that speaks so clearly to us. But Lord, at the end of the day, I can't force anybody to pray. And you don't force people to pray. Prayer is our own choice to communicate with you. Lord, there may be somebody here today that's not trusted you as their Savior. The work of Christ They've not received it as their own, even though you've already completed the work. But Lord, I want to pray for that person here this morning who feels stuck. They know some things about you. They've been in church today. But Lord, they need to trust in you by faith. Pray that they would call upon you and confess their sin and trust in you today.
Lord, for those who are here that know you this morning, may we confess those unconfessed sins that we've been carrying around in our heart. Deal with those struggles that we have with other people at home or even in the church body, extended family and friends, those things that are hindering our prayers. May we come boldly before you this morning. Lord, there may be somebody here today that is praying for a lost loved one, and I pray that they would commit to faithfully pray, knowing that you answer prayer. We have people in this room who prayed for many years for loved ones to be saved, and they've seen that take place. They know that you answer those prayers. Lord, we know that you do it. May we be faithful to pray it, and then to go and share the good news. Lord, we know that you can do great works. We saw what took place in our country this week. But in the middle of that battle, some will get so frustrated with all the noise and the anger and the vitriol that people just shut back down and go away. Lord, help us to stand for truth and righteousness, to love life, to love those who are in need of the gospel and those who are angry because their, what they perceive as their rights have been taken away. Lord, help us to realize that without you, we have nothing and we deserve nothing other than punishment and destruction in hell. Lord, may we trust in you today and walk with you, spend time in your word. In Jesus' name I pray.